0: He loves you, so He lived for you, died for you, and rose for you, period.
1: Welcome to the Bethany Lutheran Sermon Podcast for the week of October 24th, 2021. It's the 22nd week after Pentecost, and today, Pastor Kyle Blake continues our series looking at the Bethany Blueprint. Today we look at connecting deeply to our community. This message was recorded live at Bethany.
0: Well, as I said earlier, we've been really kind of looking at this concept at Bethany for the last couple of weeks of connecting deeply. Two weeks ago, we looked at how God desires to connect deeply to us. And he invites us to connect deeply to him. And, and we saw this in John chapter 15 when he says, abide in me, right? He calls us to abide in him. And as we do, he gives us good gifts, Last week, we, we looked at how God calls us to connect deeply to each other, to, to other Christians around us, as he calls us to love others as he has loved us. Now, we talked to, this isn't always an easy task, is it? Right? Sometimes us, us Christians, we, we disagree with one another. Heck, sometimes we don't even like each other. But we're learning to love each other in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, and as we, we do, as we begin to learn what it is to love each other, as we begin to be guided by the Spirit, He strengthens us both as individual Christians and as a group. Now, if you spend any amount of time, not just in this church, but any church, you, you might know that, that we talk about you know, c- connecting and, and, and deeply in three different levels, right? We talk about Up. Right, our connection with God. We talked about that two weeks ago. We talk about in, we talk about our connection with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And the third way we talk about connection is how? By the way, I ask questions and I'd like to know the answer. (laughs) Is how? Out, right? Talk about up, in, and out. So today we're gonna be talking about connecting deeply with others, others outside of the Christian faith, others who are in this world. But of course, if you read this morning's gospel text from John chapter 15, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, pastor, I hear you talking about connecting to others, but you might want to have chosen a different text for this morning's message. This one doesn't really lend itself to, to encourage us to connect to others does it? I mean, let's read it again. If the world hates you, realize it hated me before it hated you. Now, being an Astros fan, I understand that, but we're not talking about baseball here, right? Jesus is saying this. And Jesus says, if you had anything in common with the world, the world would have loved you as one of its own, but you don't have anything in common with the world. I chose you from the world, and that's why the world hates you. Really encouraging, isn't it? So what exactly is Jesus talking about here? Well, first, let's talk about the context of what he's, what he's talking about here, right? So every text is written in a greater context. You really can't take one or two verses and just pull it out and, and, and make it say what you want it to say, contrary to some, what some people believe. You have to kind of look at it in the sense of the whole, right? So what is going on in the whole picture here? What we have to realize is that John chapter 15 is smack dab in the middle of a five-chapter section. John 13, 14, 15, 15, 16, and 17, and in that section, Jesus is in the upper room, and he's celebrating this Jewish feast of Passover with his disciples. Now, Jesus knows that a little bit later that night, he's going to be arrested, and the next day, he's going to be tried and beaten and then then crucified. The disciples don't quite know this yet, even though he's told them multiple times, but they're just kind of like, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, right? Right? And so this is kind of like his his parting words before he ends up going to the cross. Basically what he says in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, and I'm surmising here, this is the Kyle Blake summation version, right? Is he saying, look, I have loved you, I have served you, so now you should love and serve one another. The way you do this is by abiding in the Father and allowing him to form you into my likeness. This is all being guided by the Holy Spirit whom my Father will send you when I'm gone, and all this is for the sake of others. So I'm sending you out to others in the world. And through you, they're gonna come to know real life, life in me, but as you go, you're gonna be persecuted as you go you're going to seem to be hated but know that i'm with you and oh by the way one of you fools is going to betray me tonight and peter you're just going to die me three times straight out right here into the kyle blake version but how do you think the disciples heard all this how do you think the disciples even heard our text this morning I mean, they journeyed with Jesus for three years. They'd seen him do a whole variety of things, and they've celebrated a couple Passovers with him, haven't they? And so here he is at this Passover, and he's kind of giving this big, long speech. And and I don't know. I mean, maybe they're really taking it in, or maybe they're just kind of like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, what we do know is is just a couple chapters later, in John chapter 20, a chapter following the crucifixion, we find the disciples locked in a room for fear of the Jews. Now, I have to give the disciples a little credit here. I mean, if, if my teacher, if my master and Lord was arrested, tried, beaten, and crucified and killed right in front of me, it probably would have been a little bit traumatic, and I might have forgotten the last words he said to me. But here they are, locked in this room, and Jesus enters in their midst and says, Peace be with you and reminds them again that as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, right? And they still, it just doesn't seem like they get it because when, when he ascends into heaven 40 days later, they're just still kind of like huddling together and praying and going, what do we do, God? What do we do? And it's not till the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost that they go out and they start proclaiming Jesus and that they proclaim Christ crucified and through that, people come to faith, but it's also through that that they start enduring persecution. They start enduring these things that Jesus had told them what was gonna happen. They're going out and they're sharing this life-changing experience they had with Jesus, how they've been forgiven and given a new life, that they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and and as they do this, they experience not just the world's hatred to them, them, but it's because the world hates Jesus. Now, i got to stop, and it makes me ask a question, right? I read verse 18, and it says, you know, the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. And and my question that rings through my head is, what do people hate about Jesus? I mean, what is so incredibly offensive about his message, about who he is, about what he's come to do, that, that people would be persecuted for it? Honestly, I believe it's for several reasons, a couple of which are these. First of all, Jesus saw and treated everyone the same. He leveled the playing field. And at the same time, he made people realize that we're all selfish, we're all self-centered, we're all broken, we're all what's called sinful, and it just looks different depending on, on who you are and where you're found. Now, some would like to paint Jesus as this very accepting individual, and I would agree that, yes, he realized and knew that all people were sinful, and so he treated all people with love and kindness. That, that's why when he was hanging with sinners and tax collectors, he, he knew he didn't have to lambast them, right? Because he knew, they knew they were sinners and tax collectors, they knew they were sinners, right? It'd be like, you know, if he'd be coming in there and going like, you guys are all sinners, they'd go, Uh-huh. But then, of course, there were those from kind of the religious establishment that he did lambast, right? He did kind of call out the religious folks because they thought they were better than everybody else. And when Jesus hung out with sinners, folks didn't like that much. He was breaking the cultural norms, the status quo. You're not supposed to hang out with those people And not just did he hang out with those people, he also said, hey, you know what, your sins are forgiven. And whoa, 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 who's he to forgive sins? And I don't know if you realize this or not, but everyone was changed by their interaction with Jesus. No one who who had a relationship with Jesus ended up not being changed. Whether we're talking about people who were healed, whether we're talking about people who had demons cast out, whether we're talking about people who were originally sinners and tax collectors, people even who were a part of this religious establishment, they all left changed by their relationship. It's, it's kind of like where, where it's, you know, you've heard the, the saying, hey, Jesus meets we where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. Everyone left changed. But this message that every last one of us are sinners, well, it's not one that we really like to hear, right? I mean, how many times do we like to justify ourselves that, well, I mean, we might have done some things wrong, but we're not as bad as those people. But this message of Jesus, what he's saying is this. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. There's only one who's perfect and well, you don't measure up and so you're not any better and you're not any worse than the people that you like to compare yourselves to to make yourselves feel good. And it's this and this next point that I believe, you know, obviously it was God's plan but got Jesus killed because Jesus didn't work according to the world's way of doing things. He didn't have this earthly perspective. He really had a kingdom perspective. Jesus did not come to to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't strive for riches or fame or power. He could have had all those. In fact, that was the temptation that he had, and he was just like, nope, that's not what I'm about. This flies in the face of the world that we live in. Think about it. How does this world work? What's the American dream? We're led to believe that our worth, our value, comes from things in this world, things that we do, right? It's like somewhere along the way we, we, we hear this lie and we get it in our head that, that if we reach a certain goal, if we hit a certain benchmark in our individual lives, then we'll be enough. Then we'll have value. If I could just do x then i i know that i'm worthy of love and i i know that i have value so we strive and we might say oh yeah 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 but how often do and i fall into this too how often we fall in the live where we're striving to be the perfect employee to be the best employee so we can keep getting ahead because then we know that we're good enough to to be the perfect parent to be the perfect partner in a relationship or even have the perfect partner in a relationship because it just never seems good enough. To, 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 to craft the perfect post on social media so that everybody knows that I'm doing really well and everything's going swimmingly in my life. We encourage our kids, you need to be the best in class. you got to be the best at athletics. And, and it builds up this, like, if I'm not, then what am I worth? We want to be a member of the right political party, don't we? A member of the, the right church or denomination. We, we chase this sense of righteousness that we think that we can obtain by our own works, by our own hands. Yet no matter how hard we try, no matter where we land, it's not good enough is it? So we keep pushing forward. Exhausted, trying to simply validate our existence, to exert our lovability via some standard of enoughness that we've crafted in our mind, whether it be behavioral or conceptual, given or invented, and it's exhausting. That Jesus shows up and invites people to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The message that the disciples carry, the message that we carry is that through Christ you have value and worth and a new life. And it's not because of anything you've done. It's not because you've measured up. It's not because of all the hard work you put in. But it's simply because he loves you. It's he loves you. So he lived for you, died for you, and rose for you, period. You've got nothing to prove To God, But can you see how the world would hate this message? That at the end of the day, the world, the devil, and our sinful flesh want us to believe that that we can be like God. Heck, we can be God if we just work hard enough. They want us to believe that if we just, just work a little bit harder, if we're just a little bit better than the next guy, if we hustle just enough, we can have it all. Money, fame, power. Those things are here today and gone tomorrow. And honestly, no matter how much you have, is it ever enough? It's part of this well-constructed lie by the devil that just says you don't measure up. And at the end of the day, nobody wants to hear that this striving for enoughness, this striving for value in this world we live in, is a lie. Nobody wants to hear that they're not perfect. In fact, we'll do all we can to craft our own perspective, right? To, to really give it our all, to convince ourselves that this isn't a lie, that it's the truth. And we're going to do everything we can to defend this truth that's here today and gone tomorrow. I mean, think about it. How many people offer a different perspective and then suddenly it's them versus us? It's good versus evil. No matter what side of the aisle you're on. It's exhausting. It's divisive. And we desperately need to hear and experience the truth, the good news of Jesus Christ. We desperately need to hear and experience that through faith in him, we're forgiven. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you have forgiveness. When you look in the mirror and you see that person in the mirror and you're like, I don't want anybody else to know I did that, that that is forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. We live in a world that needs to desperately hear and experience the the abundance that Christ gives us, the peace that he promises in the midst of our chaotic chaotic lives, the the hope that comes through him in the midst of a world that seems hopeless. We We live in a world that desperately needs to hear and experience the love that Christ has for us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how unlovable you might feel, to hear and know that you are loved because of Christ Jesus. We live in a world that needs to hear and experience the fact that we are never alone. The realization, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that God uses us, his church, to to share this message with the people we come in contact with, where we live, learn, labor, and laugh, that he calls us into relationship with the people we meet each day at, at various levels, of course, but he calls us to connect deeply to people to not just walk up and say Jesus loves you and walk away, but actually develop a relationship. I believe that discipleship and evangelism actually primarily happen in the context of relationship. That as God has called us to, to connect with him, as God comes to connect to us, and calls us to connect to one another, he also calls us to, to connect to the other, the people that he puts right in front of us. And it's in and through those relationships the Holy Spirit works to make. Christ known it's in and through those relationships that Christ begins to reveal himself to the other whether we realize that he's using us to do it or not it's in and through those relationships that people hear and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ in and through us I pray that we realize that God wants us to that God wants to connect to us that in the midst of this world where it just keeps saying you've got to do, do, do so you're good enough, that, that God is literally coming to us and saying, I love you. You're of value. Come rest in me. And that we would take him up on that offer. That we would know and be sure of not just the rest that we have in Jesus, but the peace and the forgiveness and the hope that he gives us through faith in him. I pray that that we would realize that he's calling us to, to respond to the gifts that he's freely given to us, both by giving those gifts to other believers and to those around us. Yes, the world, the devil, and our sinful flesh, it's going to push back. It does not like to hear this message. And we might even get persecuted and be hated for the good news that we bring. Yet may we always remember that the one who sends us, the one who goes with us, is mightier than those who come up against us because he's already overcome. Christ is risen. risen Now, you might have been like, what just happened? right, if you've never been to church, uh, or you've never been to this church during a time that somebody said Christ is risen, right? So typically around Easter, we say Christ is risen. The congregation replies, he is risen indeed, gives us the assurance and hope that he has overcome. Now, here's the deal. If the Dodgers would have actually won last night and then won again tonight, right, you probably wouldn't be like, he's risen indeed, or the Dodgers have won, right? You'd be like, yeah, you know, losing your mind, kind of like I was a couple days ago with the Astros won. We won't talk about that. It's a sore subject for you, I get it. But here's the deal. Christ is risen. risen I want to hear your church. Christ is risen. It's risen and it's that that gives us confidence. It's that that gives us hope. It's that that we know that we're not alone, that we're loved, that we're valued, that we're forgiven, that we can go out and freely, no matter what might come in May, look at somebody dead in the eyes and say, "I love you because I'm loved." And you're loved because of who Christ is. And at the end of the day, may God get all the glory as we seek to connect deeply with others around us through the Spirit working in and through those relationships. And may we see these miracles with our eyes of God working as brokenness is made whole, as eyes are opened, as sins are forgiven, as relationships are restored in Christ's name. And may our lives and the lives that we come in contact with be changed, not just for now, but for eternity. Amen? Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us today. A video archive of our online worship services, including today's message, can be found on our YouTube channel and at www.bethanylutheran.org. Links for both of these are in the show notes. If you would like to support this podcast or the ministry of Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California, you can text the word GIVE to 562-210-0463. That's GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 562-210-0463. Join us next week as Pastor Kevin Kreitzer brings us a Reformation Day message.